see everybody tonight. Uh, I know we still got about a minute or so, but I do want you to know that um, happy to see all of you here. Um, I was able to have lunch on Sunday with my mentor, Max, who was here. And he had such wonderful things to say about this church and how impressed he was with the work we're doing here together. And I was able to spend the lunch just bragging about you and how wonderful you are and how wonderful our elders are and just how great this church is and how much of a privilege and honor it is to work with such a fine group of God's people. So I really appreciate uh, those of you who said some nice things about me. It appears that some of you did at least. So I appreciate that. I truly, truly do. Uh, we are going to be in lesson three in your workbook tonight. We did have some uh, extra workbooks that we were copying. Uh, I believe so far we have given out about a hundred, about 125, 130 workbooks. So we had to print some more. And uh, hopefully this will be the last time we have to do that. Also, remember, you go on the website, too. You can get a copy of it on the website. You can download it there as well. So feel free to do that. We're in lesson three tonight. We're going to spend a couple of uh, lessons talking about inspiration. We're going to spend two, two lessons. Lessons three and four are about inspiration of the scriptures. In our last class, remember, we looked at several false standards of authority in religion, tradition, family, motions, our conscience, the majority, religious leaders, human wisdom, we made the point that none of these things, none of these things should govern or guide the things we do in religion. None of these things should govern or guide the things we do as a church. Instead, the scriptures, the scriptures should govern and guide all that we do. The scriptures should govern and guide what we do as a church and really what we should do with our lives as, as individuals. They should serve as our standard of authority. And tonight we're going to study why that is the case, why we can trust the scriptures as our standard of authority. Before we do that, let's bow our heads. Let's have a word of prayer together. Will you pray with me? Holy Father, thank you so much, Father for blessing us to come together tonight to open up the word, to study, to grow together. We pray, Father, that we will have open hearts and that we will be receptive to what your standard says, to what your word says. And let us, Father, be humble together. Let us seek to glorify you. We pray for our young people who are in here and who are having classes throughout the building. We pray for all of our Bible class teachers, and we especially pray for the men who lead this church. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And so before we begin diving into how we can properly establish the authority of the scriptures, we need to talk about the source of the scriptures. It's, it's not good, I don't think, to just assume that the Bible comes from God. We need to talk about why we can trust that a little bit. We need to talk about exactly where do these scriptures come from. Where does the Bible come from? Does the Bible come from Satan or does it come from God? Does it come from men or does it come from God? Is it inspired by men or is it inspired by God? 
Those are questions that we need to really talk about before we then jump into the idea of how to properly establish Bible authority. And so a passage we really, really want to look at here as we kind of jumpstart this is a well-known passage to us, but it's a powerful passage. And it's 2 Timothy. It's 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, where the Apostle Paul says that all Scripture is inspired by God, and they are profitable. They're profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God or woman of God may be adequate, mature, perfect, equipped for every good work. The key word to notice there in the text is the word inspired. That word inspired there is actually a compound word in the Greek. It is only found here in the New Testament. It's only found in 2 Timothy 3 verse 16, and it means, it literally means God breathe. In other words, God inspired the scriptures. God gave us the scriptures. Here the Bible is claiming, here's the key word here, the Bible is claiming to come from God. It is claiming to come from the mind of God. It is claiming to be Every part of it, every word, every verse, every chapter, it is claiming that it all comes from the mind of God. Now, that's the claim that the Bible is making here. But as we now transition and go to our little magic marker board here, I want to see what did you think about ahead of time when it came to this particular question right here. I want to see what you have ahead of time on this. So we found a verse, we found a verse, 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16, where the Bible itself is claiming to come from God. But as you, if you did your Bible lesson ahead of time, who are some other people, some other verses, where the Bible is making this claim? The claim, the claim of inspiration. And we're just focusing on the word claim right now because there are a lot of books that claim to come from God. You know that, right? The Book of Mormon claims to come from God. The Quran claims to come from God. Parts of the Catholic Bible claim to come from God, like the Apocrypha books. So right now we're just talking about claims. So who are some other people and we'll start with our young people if you have some answers there. But who are some other people in the Bible who claim to be speaking for God? Anybody got an answer there? Who are some other people? Sean Michael, go ahead, sir. John Revelation 1, what? Okay, so go into your Bible. And show Michael, I think you meant to say Revelation 1 1. Revelation 1 1. We kind of talked about this, but I think I think that's what you meant there. So go to Revelation 1 1. Revelation 1 1. This is a good one here. Where the scripture says, Revelation 1 1. We're gonna be doing a lot of Bible reading in this part of our class. So it's important that everybody have their Bible out because there's going to be a lot of reading going on tonight. Revelation 1.1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave, notice, 
which God gave him to show his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And he sent and communicated by his angel to his bondservant, John. So notice here, this verse, in this verse, John is claiming to be inspired. He says here in this verse that God gave this to him, that God signified this through him. He says this is a revelation of Jesus Christ. This is a verse that claims that the book of Revelation is inspired. That's a good start, Sean Michael. Very good. Anyone else got one? Who's somebody else who's claiming to be inspired in the Bible? Yes, Carolyn. Yes, ma'am. Malachi 1.1. Let's go there in our Bible. Let's read it. Let's read it. And young people, I want you to really follow me here because this is very important. It's very important that you know not just what we say about the Bible, but what the Bible says about itself. Malachi 1.1, the oracle, the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. That is a claim of inspiration there. The first verse of Malachi is, is, is claiming here that this ain't oracle of the word of the Lord. That's a good one, Carolyn. That's very good. What's another one we got? Let's keep going. We should have about 50 answers here. They're all over the place. Yes, Gary. I love Ezekiel and chapters 1, 2, and 3 and throughout the whole book. But one phrase I really love that comes up over and over is, so that you will know I am the Lord. Yes. So you got here, you put on here, Ezekiel, is there a particular verse you had there? Well, it says, uh, verse 3, chapter 1, the word of the Lord came expressly to Ezekiel, the priest of the Bozai in the land of the Chaldeans, to preserve his people. Well, now, what, what verse is that again, sir? I'm sorry, I missed chapter that. 1, verse 3. Oh, 1, 3. Ezekiel 1, 3. Good one. And those verses, like you said, are all through Ezekiel. Absolutely, sir. Brother Mitch, yes, sir. Uh, Galatians 1, verses 11 and 12. Oh, that's good. It doesn't get more plainer than that. That's a good one. Galatians 1, 11 through 12, Paul says, The gospel I preached to you, Galatians, didn't come from me. This is a revelation of Jesus Christ. That is a claim of inspiration there. Oh, that's good. Let's do a couple of more. Let's see what else you got here. Anybody else got one? Yes, is that you, Vanessa, back there? Yes, ma'am. Go ahead. Yes. Yes, I want to say something about that particular passage, too, because that's an important one there. Uh, Revelation 1, 20 through 21, right, Vanessa? So that particular passage is one that's in, that's a question in your workbook. I think that's question four in your workbook. So let's say something about that passage. This, this is a go ahead and answer another question in the workbook. This idea, but know this, first of all, the no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. When Peter used that language there, he's not talking about how we interpret the Bible, okay? That's not what he means there. He explained what he means in the next verse. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. See, when Peter talks about interpretation there, he's talking about the source of the scriptures, particularly in this context, he's talking about the Old Testament. He is saying that the men who wrote the Old Testament scriptures 
were not writing things with their own spin on it, things that came from them. Instead, they were moved by someone. They were moved by who? Holy Spirit. So here Peter is saying he's claiming the Old Testament comes from God. The men were moved by the Holy Spirit. That's what that language means in the text. Brother Lance, yes, sir. John 12, 49. Okay. Will you mind reading that one for us, brother? Yeah. It says, For I have not spoken of my own authority, which kind of goes along with the cloud. Mm-hmm. But the Father who sent me gave me a command and what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me to, so I speak. So Jesus is claiming when he's on the earth preaching to be giving revelation from heaven. He is saying, I'm speaking from the Father. I'm speaking the will of the Father. That's a really important one because that, that is one of the main claims Jesus made. It's a proof text that he was the prophet. Yes, yes. He is claiming to be the prophet by saying, I speak from the Father. A couple of more real quick. Anybody else got any others? Yes, yes, sir, Brother Nelson. Second Samuel, what was that again, sir? I'm sorry. Twenty-four, twelve. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yes, yes, and I and and you find this language, that language that you brought up there, that you find in Second Samuel twenty-four, is just it's loaded in the prophets. It's loaded all through the prophets. Absolutely. Major prophets, major because of the size of the books, minor prophets. Uh, anybody got one more before, before I give you some of the answers I had? Any others? Any, yes, Greg. Yes, sir. Yes, that's a good one. In fact, in, in that text, is, and I was actually looking at that text today, Brother Greg, Paul talks about it was revealed to the apostles and prophets. So Paul, once again, is claiming inspiration, not just for himself, but all the contributors to the New Testament. So let me give you some other ones here. Those are some good, great answers. Let me transition back here, please. I want to show you some things that I have put on here, and these can go with the additional things that you had said, and I'm going to do a lot of reading right now, so follow with me, okay? So young people, follow me here. Some things we need to really understand about this. The first one, Vanessa said. That was a good one, Vanessa. 2 Peter 1, 20 through 21. So we made that point. Go to 2 Peter 3 now. 2 Peter 3, because Peter in chapter 1 is claiming the prophets were inspired. But then when you go to 2 Peter 3, verse 15... He says, in regard to the patience of our Lord and salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, 
speaking in, in them of things which are hard, which in some ways are hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort as they also do the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. Notice how Peter says, Paul's stuff, even though it's hard to understand, and I think he's talking about Romans there, it's scripture. Peter says Paul's writing scripture. You don't just call anything scripture. You don't call the U.S. Constitution scripture. You don't call the Arizona Constitution scripture. You call God's word scripture. In the first century, people like Peter recognized Paul's stuff as scripture. There's other passages that we need to consider. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5, and Paul, we've made a lot of points about Paul, but he said some other things about inspiration. In 1 Peter 5, and in verse 17, Paul talks about elders here, and he says the elders who rule well ought to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who do the work of preaching and teaching, for the scripture says, you should not muzzle the ox while he's threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Paul there in that verse, when he says the scripture says, he's quoting from two different places. In the first spot, the muzzle, you should not muzzle the ox while he's threshing, that's from Deuteronomy. That's Deuteronomy 25. Paul says that's scripture. And the second part, the laborer is worthy of his wages, that is a direct quote from a book we read last year from the Gospel of Luke. In the first century, Luke's writing, his gospel, was recognized as scripture by the Apostle Paul. Look at 1 Corinthians. We're going to be reading 1 Corinthians in our Bible reading this year. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 12, Paul talks about his writings and his preaching. And he says, now we've received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak. Not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Paul here is saying that the things I preach, the things I write about, they're coming from the Holy Spirit. They're spiritual thoughts combined with spiritual words. Look at chapter 14 and verse 37. This is one like the one Mitch gave us. Mitch gave us one from Galatians that was pretty direct. And I think this is one just like that one. In 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 37, Paul told the Corinthians, if anyone thinks he's a prophet or a spiritual, if you've got people like that among you who think they're so smart, then let him recognize that the things I write to you are what? They're the Lord's commandments. That's pretty clear, isn't it? That's pretty clear. Look at Numbers 33. Here's one that kind of summarizes the writings of Moses. And Numbers 33 and in verse number 2, and Numbers 33 and verse 2, Numbers 33, 2, the Bible says, Moses recorded their starting places. This is talking about Israel when they began wandering in the wilderness, going to the promised land. Moses recorded their starting places according to their journeys by the command of the Lord. Notice. And these are their journeys according to their starting places. You know what that is saying there? That, that is saying that these books that Moses wrote while Israel was wandering in the wilderness, that's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that verse there is saying Moses wrote that by the Holy Spirit. He wrote that by the command of the Lord. That's what that verse is saying there. And some of you made some other good points here. Yeah, I think Brother Nelson made the point that the prophets, Jeremiah, 
Joel, Jonah, Haggai, Malachi, Zechariah. I could put I could have put 10 other on here in many of the writings of the prophets. The first verse of their book, the book that bears their name is a claim to inspiration. We're speaking by the Holy Spirit. The word of the Lord came to me during this person's reign. God is speaking to me. The prophets began their writings with that claim. I want to give you one more here before we go to another question. And I want to talk about Jesus. This kind of goes with Lance was saying. But I want to go to what Jesus says in Mark. Will you follow me to this last place before we move on? Mark chapter 7. Because here, in addition to like Lance said, Jesus does claim to be the prophet. He's speaking from God. But he says some things about the Old Testament too. And in Mark chapter 7, remember we went through this example where Jesus was rebuking the Pharisees because they tried to bind upon him the tradition of the elders, washing your hands before you eat. And Jesus said in Mark 7 and verse 10, For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and he who speaks evil of father and mother is to be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father and mother, Whatever I have that will help you is Corbin. That is, it is to say it's given to God. I'm not going to help my parents because I've dedicated this money to God. You're no longer, you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother. Thus, and validating what? The word of God. By your tradition, which you have handed down, and you do many things such as that. So in verse 10, look at verse 10. In verse 10, he says, Moses said this. Moses said, honor your father and mother. And then in verse number 13, he says that when you don't do that, you invalidate the word of God. He called the writings of Moses the word of God. And so what I want you to see here is all through this book, there is a claim to inspiration. There is a claim to inspiration. Now, there was a question in your book there that made me a little confusing, so I'm going to help you with it a little bit. Some of you have, have asked me about it. It's question two there. And if you don't read the question carefully, it can be easy to miss it. The question is, how can we prove that all the Bible claims to be inspired? The word there is claim to notice. Not how can we prove all the Bible is inspired. That's, that's going to be later. How can we prove it all claims to come from God? And so here are some passages that that you should have hopefully thought of when it comes to that. 2 Timothy 3, we started there. Paul says all scripture is inspired by God. That's a verse where Paul is saying all of it comes from God. Genesis to Revelation. Luke, look at the Gospel of Luke with me, please. In Luke chapter 24, in Luke chapter 24, this is after Jesus was raised from the dead. In verse number 27, he meets those guys on the road to Emmaus, remember? And in verse number 27, it says, Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them things concerning himself in all the scriptures. So Jesus here taught them from all the scriptures, all the Old Testament scriptures. Jesus claimed the Old Testament came from God. Look at verse 44. Now he's speaking to his apostles here. And Jesus said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all the things which are written about me and the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. 
That's important there because those three categories you see in that verse and verse 44 represent the canon of the Old Testament. Canon meaning all that the Old Testament contains. The Old Testament, according to the Jewish mind and how they categorize this, was the law of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Psalms, the wisdom literature, and the prophets. Jesus claimed all the Old Testament came from God. And then a verse we're really going to start looking at now is John 12. John 12 was a critical verse. When you look at John 14, I believe, verse 26, Jesus told his apostles, he told his apostles, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and he's going to bring back to your remembrance everything I've taught you in these three years I was with you. He elaborates on that further in John 16, 12 through 15. When he says, I have many more things to say to you, he's speaking to the apostles here, young people. He's talking to the apostles. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, the spirit of truth, meaning the Holy Spirit, he's called the spirit of truth here. He will guide you into all the truth, all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine, therefore I said he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. Someone who maybe hasn't commented yet, what are some things you notice in those verses that Jesus is saying here about the process of inspiration, about the job of the Holy Spirit? Do you see anything in these verses that talk about the process of inspiration? Anyone see anything here? It's loaded here. It is loaded. It should be easy to see. Nobody sees anything from the words of Jesus. That's not good. What do we? Yes, Andy. Okay, that's key. Guide. His job is to guide. So they're the messengers. They're the ones who are going to write the New Testament. Okay? And the Holy Spirit will guide them. That's important. So that means they're not sitting there writing saying, well, let me just try to you know, figure this out to see what I can remember. No, the Holy Spirit says, no, I'm, I'm going to help you here. I'm going to guide you. That's good, Andy. What else? There's something else here. Mike, yes, sir. He's going to speak. So this shows us a couple of things. The Holy Spirit is a person. He has personhood, personality. He's not just a feeling. No, just like God the Father is a person. Jesus is a person. Holy Spirit is a person. He can speak. So he's going to speak to them. Reveal. Rick, did you have your hand up, sir? Yes. So as we keep going here, he's going to speak. He will disclose disclose to you what is to come. He's going to disclose it. He's going to glorify Jesus. Jesus said he will come and glorify me. The idea of glorifying Jesus means that he's going to speak about the glory of Jesus, reveal the things that Jesus did. And this goes with, you, with what you said, Rick. He's going to take of mine and disclose it to you. Jesus got his revelation, his information from the Father, 
The Holy Spirit takes from the Father, takes from Jesus, discloses it to apostles. Brother James, yes, sir. That, that's important. I should have highlighted that too. But he will guide into all truth. So that, that's important because everything you have in the Bible is everything God wants you to have. God doesn't tell us everything in the Bible. He doesn't tell you what the forbidden fruit was. He doesn't tell you what happened to the Ark of the Covenant. He doesn't tell you where Cain got his wife from. That's not the point of the Bible. The Bible is to tell us not everything we want to know, but everything God wants us to know. All the truth that can help us gain salvation. That's the point of the Bible. That's the point of the Bible. That's good. And then again, takes of mind disclose. So notice, guide. These are the key words, young people. Guide, disclose, speak, glorify, disclose, takes, discloses. This is inspiration. This is inspiration. So this goes in perfect harmony with what we saw in those verses about the prophets, about Paul and Peter. The Holy Spirit is the one who is giving the inspiration, given inspiration, giving the information. He knows the will of God. He knows the mind of God. He is sent by Jesus to reveal the information that God wants us to know so that we can have the information we need to know God and be saved. Without the Holy Spirit's work of inspiration, we wouldn't have the Bible. That's the application. We wouldn't be able to have Bible study. We wouldn't know about Jesus and what to do to be right with Jesus. Not without the Holy Spirit's work of inspiration. Any other comments from here about inspiration? Yes, ma'am, Peggy. Go ahead, ma'am. That's great. That's wonderful. John 17, 17, short verse, but powerful. Powerful verse. He's praying there for the apostles, the men who would be inspired by the Holy Spirit, sanctify them, set them apart in the truth. The word is truth. So why should you follow the Bible? Well, because it comes from the Holy Spirit. It comes from the Holy Spirit. But it's not enough for me just to say that. I can't just tell you that. Let's talk a little bit about proof. So let's get some more participation here. And young folks, maybe you wrote some stuff down here. What are some proofs that the Bible isn't just a book that's claiming to come from God? It's not just like the Quran, because the Quran claims to be from God. Muhammad is God's messenger. Uh, the Apocrypha books, the books between the Testaments, the books written between the Testaments, Book of Mormon, we deal with that a lot in our part of the country. That claims to come from God. So what makes the Bible so special? Does anybody have an idea? Yes, Micah. Yes, sir. Oh, that's a good one. Micah says, Micah says, the Bible doesn't contradict itself. Micah, that, that's important because, Micah, you're going to come across people who are going to tell you, you know, the Bible does contradict itself. And, Micah, when people tell you that, you need to say to them, prove it to me. Don't just say it to me, prove it to me. Because a lot of times people are just parroting what they heard somebody else say. You know, a parrot just repeats what, it, you know, it's taught and it doesn't really know what it's saying. Well, that's what people do with this claim. So the great thing about the Bible is the Bible is made up of 66 books. It's a collection of books. 
written over a period of 1,500 years by more than 40 different writers. Many of these writers did not know one another. They lived in different parts of the world, had different occupations, spoke in different languages. The Bible is written in three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. It has all these, these things that make it so unique, and yet, despite all of this, there is not one contradiction found in it. There is not one contradiction found when it comes to the main message it is promoting, and that is Jesus is the Messiah. That's the most controversial message in the history of the world, and the Bible never contradicts on it, despite all these, these differences. That's important. That, that, there's no way that can happen unless there's really only one author who is God. You know, if we, you know that little game where you played as a kid? You ever played that little phone tag game? Where you start, you know, saying something to someone at the beginning of a room and just let it keep passing the message on till it gets to someone at the back of the room. If we did that tonight, you think that message is going to be the same? We start with Brenna, pass the message on all the way to back to where near Vanessa is. What's the chances of that being successful? It's not very good. You know, I, could, I sort of sometimes I talk to my wife and we're talking about things we did just last week. And she'll, you know, we, we did the same thing. We were there together. And she'll tell me the story, and I'll say, that's not what happened. <laughs> and I was there. You ever, you ever been in that boat before? We forget things, don't we? We forget details. Sometimes we misinterpret things. And yet the Bible's written over 1,500 years, and you don't find that. That's incredible. That is a proof of inspiration. That's a proof of inspiration. Anybody else got one? Yes, Nathan. Go ahead, sir. Oh, you young people on fire now. That's good. You have to wake up. That's good. Prophecy. Fulfilled prophecy. Y'all knocked out. And I did not, Michael, did I talk to you ahead of time before class started? I didn't even talk to you, did I? And yeah, look at this. Y'all got the first two answers. Fulfilled prophecy, harmony of the scriptures. So fulfilled prophecy. When we say fulfilled prophecy, we mean the Bible is loaded with predictions about the future, sometimes things that would happen hundreds of years, thousands of years in advance, and those things come to pass. Particularly when it comes to Jesus, there are at least a hundred, over a hundred specific prophecies about Jesus, where he would be born, the circumstances, his work, the things he would say, the things his enemies would say when he's died on the cross. And the Bible tells us all, that thing, all those things were fulfilled. Now here's the thing to, to, to really make this stick. Because sometimes people say, well, how do we know that, you know, the Old Testament wasn't written after the fact? After these things happened, the Old Testament writers wrote these things down to make it look like there was fulfilled prophecy. Well, there are two pieces of historical evidence we have that the prophecies were made before the events were fulfilled. One is the Dead Sea Scrolls. Dead Sea Scrolls. Dead Sea Scrolls were copies of Old Testament books found in a cave in the Qumran community near the Dead Sea. History, even atheists who are historians, all acknowledge that those scrolls date at least 100 years before the birth of Jesus. At least 100 years. And then you have the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures. Uh, these were done in Alexandria, Egypt, by 70 scholars, and all historians agree that those Hebrew scriptures which were translated into Greek, that was done by at least 200 years before the birth of Jesus. So the evidence is on our side that 
The prophecies, particularly when it comes to Jesus, were made before he was born. And yet over and over again, eyewitnesses say in the New Testament that he fulfilled those those things. That's powerful. Anybody else got one? Yes, Brian. Yes, sir. Remember the were filled with the Spirit of God, and they were given skill to do something that nobody else could do at that time. Yeah. And that word skill there is the same word used throughout Proverbs to be wisdom. Wow. And so when the Holy Spirit fills people to do something, what is produced is unique and full of skill and is done completely otherworldly in a way that no human being would do. Because you know, you and I both know that if we had to write this book, right. it would look like a like a kindergartner tried to write it. Right. Because we don't have that kind of otherworldly experience right. Right. With, with doing this kind of writing. No, that's a good one. I like that a lot. I, I didn't even think of that, honestly. So that, was, that, that one won't be on the slide, but it needs to be written down by the class. Uh, and how else can you explain it? And I would, you think about the men there you mentioned from Exodus, but even the Bible itself. I mean, if this was a product for men, it would look like the Texas Constitution. I'm from Texas. You know how many times the Texas Constitution has been amended? Hundreds of times <laughs> because it's a product for men. And yet, when we look at our Bible, complete harmony, utter perfection. Why? Because men were not the source of it. Not the source of it. It's God. That's excellent. That's excellent. Uh, John and then Michelle, I saw you, ma'am. Knowledge that we know today was not proven until very recently, but that has been seen. The earth was hung on nothing, and men are all of one blood. A little bit more recent, true, but they're in the Bible. Scientific foreknowledge is what that is. Predicting things that were not known by us as far as science goes until way later, and yet the Bible's telling us about it way ahead of time. Many examples like that, John. That's a good one. Michelle, yes, ma'am. Oh, John stole it? Well, you can beat him up after class. <laughs> Archaeology. The flood, the Grand Canyon is an example of that to me. David, we're finding things more on King David and his existence. Abraham, Hezekiah, the Temple Mount. Archaeology backs up the Bible, and that just keeps happening every year when they keep digging up stuff. Mitch, you had your hand up, sir. Just real quick one. The Holy Spirit is so important that Jesus said, if I don't go away, then the Holy Spirit will come to you. And I think that's the critical He was sent later as a helper, a helper, but Jesus had to go first. Once Jesus left, he says, I'm sending him. I'm sending him. It's his work from here on. That's good. Um, Caitlin, yes, ma'am. Josephus, Tacitus, um, even the historians at that time who were not believers back up the things with the Bible. And a great example of that is the destruction of Jerusalem, uh, a fulfilled prophecy that history backs up a hundred percent and other things. But there were times when people thought Luke was way off with the stuff he was saying in Luke 1. And yet as history 
has continued to be studied and verified, they have to admit Luke was right on the money. He was right on the money with everything he said. Uh, let me give you one more here, then we're going to shut the class down. Y'all did, did wonderful tonight. Young people, everybody did great. I'm going to give you one more. I want you to write down Jesus' resurrection. Y'all gave great answers. I agree with everything you said. But write that one down, too, because in my view, this is where our faith has to hinge. I was in Dallas for a youth weekend a couple of weeks ago in Garland where my buddy Jordan Schaus is. And one of the things I had to preach on was the resurrection of Jesus the Christ. And one of the points I wanted to make to the young people was if you can believe in the resurrection and prove the resurrection to be a historical fact, everything else makes sense. Because Jesus preached about Noah and the flood. And Jesus preached about a man spending, spending three days in the belly of a fish. And Jesus preached about somebody getting turned into a pillar of salt and God speaking through a burning bush. And Jesus being raised from the dead and seen all over the place verifies that not just he was a prophet, but everybody else who wrote the Bible is a prophet because he's quoting that stuff. And God's not going to raise a liar from the dead. So, so that, write that one down, too. That's our confession before we're baptized. Yes. The I believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So we'll stop right there. What I want, where I want to start, Lord willing, on Sunday is that last section, questions that help determine a book's inspiration. I want to, want to ask you to please fill out those questions. We'll have a discussion on that. And then we're going to start lesson four. I really appreciate y'all so much. You've been a wonderful class, wonderful class.